Welcome to Wa Wonders Why, a companion podcast to smart enough to know better. This episode is entitled What, what Price, Price Victory? Victory? Check, Check in, in Ada. Ada. Goodness me, these titles are getting long, aren't they? About a year ago, I talked to Ada Macy about coming out as trans. So a year on, I thought it would be great to check in with Ada and see how her life is going and see if anything else has changed. Spoilers, a lot of things have changed. Welcome back to the podcast, Ada. Hello, Ada. Hi. So people may remember Ada very nicely came and chatted to her about her experiences as a trans woman in the very first Wild Wonders Why, What Price Victory. And I thought once again, we should come back a year later and check in with Ada and see if any more price has been paid and whether or not that price was worth paying. So Ada, has anything happened in the last 12 months? Oh, the odd the odd one or two things. No, <laughs> it's a- it's been it's been a really really busy full on year for me. When we when we spoke last time, I was maybe a year into my transition, mm-hmm. and you know I, a lot of the practical stuff had happened. I'd started like changing my name and everything, but since we spoke, I've been through multiple rounds of surgery, and I've had a very literal discovery of what price victory <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's not cheap. Mm. Uh, some of these things, well, my superannuation is paying the price. Right. That, well, that was one of my very first questions. I was never terribly sure. Australia has very good health cover for a lot of different things, and we're very lucky compared to other countries in the world where you have to pay for every doctor visit and everything that comes along. Is gender confirmation surgery, was, is that something that's paid for by, by the state or by, by the healthcare system? No, not yet. Not um, yet. There's, I mean, it should be. I have strong opinions on that subject. No, it's still one of those areas that is very much a lot of the surgical options that are available because they're not available in the public system. There's a lot of privilege attached to who is able to access them and who isn't able to access them. The way I was able to do it was through accessing my superannuation. Even that process, right, that the, the criteria for getting a compassionate release of superannuation is for life-threatening or, you know, if you have a terminal illness, right, mm. or like chronic pain, those sorts of things. But the other one is acute or chronic mental illness. And oh. and that's the avenue that oh. I'm able to access. Yeah, exactly, right? Like talk, talk about a price, you know. Oh, in my a- goodness. So that's, a, mm. that's, that's shockingly problematic because – It really is. Because – from from the reading, I mean, I've done on this, it's now considered uh, in all medical journals that, as far as I'm aware, that that being a trans person is not a mental illness. That's one of the very big points. I mean, there's there's dysphoria if people misgender you and that sort of stuff, but the actual being the other gender compared to uh, I'm trying to think of the right terms here, then that's not considered a mental. That's, yeah. that, it's not not considered. Sorry, it is not a mental disability. Yeah, look, well, the way the, the World Health Organization recently moved, well, okay, to, to rewind a step, mm. the way it historically has been done in, you know, according to the World Health Organization and the DSM, which is your the, the psychological psychiatric manual for mental disorders, etc., mm. they've or they have recently, the last edition or so, differentiated between transgender identity and gender dysphoria, mm. right? So, so 
they've made the point of saying that it's not a mental illness to be transgender. However, the gender dysphoria, and that's the discomfort, that's the stress, that's the, 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 the side effects, if you will, in air quotes, that come with being trans for, for a lot of trans people, that gender dysphoria is treated as a mental illness. Mm. Um, and it has been by the World Health Organization and it has been by uh, the DSM as well. Mm. And the World Health Organization has recently taken that, uh, con- that idea of dysphoria and moved it out of the mental health space and moved it into, I'm not sure of the exact term, but into the sort of sexual health space, okay. right? which is still, you know, like... <laughs> There's a whole discussion to be had around that. Well, but, yes, yeah. but the DSM still classifies gender dysphoria as a mental illness. Mm. And so that's the avenue, um, problematic as it is, that enables me to access my super funds, to uh, my superannuation funds, to, um, uh, to pay for the surgeries that aren't available in the public health system. So you have to go to the government and say... I am, due to your rules, the rules that you have put in place, I have to declare myself as mentally unwell to access my money to, to, to align my body with my internal state. Right. I have, to, I have to basically say I have a mental illness simply oh because of who I am, right? And, yeah, and it's – I mean, there's other, there's other issues with that whole process as well because – it's not available in the public system. It's recognised. The only reason I can access it is it's recognised as a valid treatment for gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. Yet it adds to my taxable income. So it impacts the amount of family tax benefit I receive. It impacts the amount of of my higher education contribution scheme repayments. My okay. extent, you oh, know. Right. So yes. you know. So it's had big impacts mm. um, on my life aside. From um, aside from the the fact that I'm eating into my future yes. by paying for this, because in the short term, here and now, I'm having financial consequences as a fallout of accessing that money. So, mm. and it's not just one surgery; I've got more surgery coming up, mm. and I'm going through the same process again. And next year, I'll be paying for the income that I've received this year because income in equities. So what you're saying there is the money that you've taken out of your superannuation is considered income again and it's taxed. Yeah, and not oh, only not goodness. only not only is it taxed, but anything that is assessed on your level of income counts that lump oh, sum. Of course. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so as I said, my family tax benefit, which mm. is based on the amount of income I earn, is impacted by that income, even though it's not income, I'm not I'm mm. not able to spend it. The only reason I was able to access it is because it is considered as a necessary treatment mm-hmm. for mm. a chronic mental health condition. So how you can say that and then treat it as an as a as income? I, I don't know how those two things are reconciled. But yeah, it's, yeah. It, it feels that feels like a not so much people being bastards, just more that following the the rules too much going here's two two separate set of rules and we'll just clash them together and only because it only affects a very small percentage of the population we won't bother trying yeah. to fix it yeah I, I think i think there's something like that in there because i think you know there's obviously there's the potential for all sorts of you know people accessing it for the wrong reasons mm-hmm. but 
but you know as a consequence of the rules that are there you know it's it's it makes it really really tough it adds a lot of um a lot of stress to to this situation whereas in a lot of countries it's just covered under the healthcare that's available in the you know in the the country's health system so you know whether that's through an insurance or a public uh, whether it's through an insurance system or whether it's through a, a public health system, um, a lot of countries offer that as an option. So mm. in, one, in one way, I'm privileged that I'm able to access it here at all. I'm yes. in a position where I can do it, whereas a lot of people can't. Mm. Yet my, my superannuation has mm. really paid the price. It won't be there. So, I mean, it's something that Australia does quite well, which is superannuation, as in setting up a system where we have a, a nest egg at the end. Uh, if, if you're working, if you're a person who can contribute into your own money. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's there's a, obviously the price. I mean, there's a lot of prices there. I, I, let's be honest. From second one, I think the whole realizing that you're trans and then living that truth is a cost. We've meant, meant last time mentioned that, of course, but now we're talking about the actual money cost. Yeah. Not just the emotional cost or the societal cost. So let's let's get to brass tacks here. So you've had multiple surgeries and, yeah. and I'm assuming pretty major surgeries. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, can I ask how much they cost? Well, not long after we spoke last time, a couple of months after that, I had uh, gender confirmation surgery or uh, genital reconstruction surgery, mm-hmm. which is the sort of not, not as friendly on the ear about saying it that way, but it's <laughs> yes. probably more accurate. <laughs> that all up, including my because I had to get that surgery done in Melbourne and then I had to stay in Melbourne for the duration mm-hmm. and I had to have a carer there, right? So I had to cover all of those costs mm-hmm. and that ended up about $25,000, mm-hmm. um, okay. including the flights and accommodation and the, anest- uh, the anesthetic and the surgery and mm-hmm. all of the other bits and pieces. And so that was $25,000 out of my superannuation plus, mm-hmm. of course, then I had to get the, the, the tax as well mm. was after the fact. So it ended up taking about $30,000 out of my superannuation. I thought it was going to be a lot higher than that. Don't get me wrong. That, that is not a small amount of money. But that's, uh, but, but, but that's, like, a, that's like a medium-sized car. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, just, just hold on. We were, oh, okay. <laughs> there's more coming, yes? Okay, right, right. Sorry, yes, good. Okay, oh, not good, but yes, okay. I shall, I shall, I shall um, change my expectations. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's actually one of those things that gender confirmation surgery is actually cheaper than people expect, and and it is achievable in that small car kind of way, right? Like, Mm. well, medium car kind of way. If you are in a position where somehow or another you can afford that, Mm. then you can afford to pay for the raw costs of of the surgery. Mm. But I had to have two months off work. Uh, right? And right now, that's another one. That's another cost that I was lucky enough that I was in a position to be able to do that. But a lot of people aren't, right? And it can add financial cost or you know employment stability issues. For me, I was lucky enough to just be able to use leave and cover it all. I mean, that's a big difference in Australia again compared to a lot of places in the world. Thinking of the United States, uh, we get normally on average about four weeks off a year, but also sick leave. And if I was ill, I could probably take eight weeks off and still have a job by the end of it. And I wouldn't be that worried. And yeah. that's, that's because I'm also lucky in the in the, the job that I have in my everyday life. But I, I think about other countries where they don't get this sort of leave. And I just wonder, how do you do any of this? How does any of this happen unless you're a wealthy yeah. family? 
Yeah, yeah, and that that's exactly right. You know, it, it, every step of this is, involves having the privilege to be able to do it. You know, every single element of it is something that you people just take for granted because you don't think about till you actually sit down and look at the individual steps and you're like, how can I cover this? How can I cover that? Do I am I able to take the leave? And not many people can check all of those boxes. Mm, that's true. We, we use the term privilege, and, and I think it's a good term. I sometimes try and turn it around and say this is a societal thing and how wonderful it is we live in a society that has reached a certain level of care of its people. I mean, it can get better. Don't get me wrong, but I'm very happy with Australia. Sometimes if you're the right people, I guess not everyone, you can access these sort of things. Uh, as it, it can get a lot better, but yeah. And look, when I say privilege, I'm talking really, I guess, in comparison to a lot of other trans people, right? Because we suffer hugely in terms of mental health outcomes, education levels, employment levels. So job stability, job availability, they're really, really hard issues for a lot of us. So it it really is almost, again, relative to other trans people, you know, um, I'm in a position of being able to access a lot of services and have a lot of options that aren't available to a lot of other people. And, and you know, it, privilege feels like the right word for my experience because I don't want to downplay how fortunate I am, how lucky I am that everything has come together in a way that's enabled me to actually walk down this path when so many people so many people in the trans community just don't have these options right and you know it's it's yeah it's 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 a real issue to come back to that question around costs and and the like the second lot of surgery that i had was focal feminization surgery so that one was actually surprisingly cheap there was a doctor here in brisbane uh, where i live that offers the service and he only charged the gap that wasn't covered from, by by Medicare. So I had to go through that same process and I had to tick the box that says mental illness, etc. <laughs> um, oh, I had to see a specialist and get it signed off and to do all the paperwork. But that only left me about six grand out of pocket. Okay. Wow. That's still, okay. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's and higher than I thought it would be. There you go. I, <laughs> it's up and down at this moment. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, um, what but, does, what does um, I, I have a fair idea about genital reassignment surgery or, or reconfirmation surgery. What is vocal feminization surgery? What they do is they get the vocal cords and they take about a third of the vocal cords on either side and they remove, they get a laser onto it and remove the surface hmm. of the vocal cords and then they stitch it together and that stitching holds it in place while it heals up and because they've removed that surface layer of your vocal cords when they heal up they grow back into each other once the stitching dissolves your vocal cords are permanently shortened by about a third raising, so raising the the octave or raising the the pitch of your voice yeah yeah exactly uh, i mean they, they say that the the main thing is it raises pitch but you know you and i were talking a little bit earlier about about the changes in my voice and everything. And one of the things that I notice is above and beyond pitch, there's definitely a difference in my tone. I think my voice mm -hmm. feels or sounds more comfortable than it used to. Mm -hmm. And that's 
that's something that has come with the surgery as well. So I don't know exactly what to attribute that to, but but yeah, it's it's definitely making has made quite huge differences in the way I move through the world and the way I'm perceived. I get gendered correctly on the phone now, which is <laughs> which is a nice thing. And we have a an interesting point here for those who are interested in hearing the difference in Ada's voice. Of course, you can go back a year ago, listen to the first What Price Victory, and hear the difference in voice as well. So you'll be able to, to, to hear the timber difference that we're talking about here. Yeah, and look, at that point, when you go back and listen to my voice then, you, I had done vocal training, right? I, that was not my that was not my pre-transition voice. That was me having worked on my voice and tried to get it to a point where um, where I was happy with it. And I was that journey got me so far, but it didn't get me far enough, which is why um, ultimately I went for the vocal feminization surgery. Again, that's something I wouldn't have chased, I don't think, except for the fact that it was available in Brisbane. And it was really relatively affordable within the transgender community. There is a, a surgeon that operates out of South Korea that is sort of the world-renowned specialist in vocal surgery. And I was thinking that that was my only option. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's not that's worth. A, that's yeah, it's a not step worth too it. far. Yes, it's not worth it. Not for my voice, which mm-hmm. is something that I wasn't perfectly happy with. But it was getting the job done right but then when i found out i could do it in brisbane it was convenient and the price point was was accessible so mm-hmm. i thought well no that's fine I'll, I'll i'll take that step when you have the surgery done i'm assuming you can't use your vocal cords you're told to rest them don't make noise that sort of stuff did you yeah. have did you have a fear over the hours days weeks you weren't allowed to speak whatever the time it was where you were like, I, I will never speak again. Like, it's, I've, I've got rid of my voice. Because that's in my back of my mind. I'd be like, oh, that's it. No, I've done a terrible thing to myself and I'll never be able to speak, which would be horrible for me. And that's actually really, apparently a lot of people pause at the idea of vocal surgery for similar reasons. But mm. I don't know, that just never occurred to me. Like, <laughs> I'm like, like, sure, maybe I'll get complications and I'll have to go back for more surgeries and things might have to be fixed and blah, blah, blah. And that might be annoying. Mm. But the idea that, like no, I might lose my voice or something like that. It just, it's not. wasn't on. The, I mean, it's not. It's not. I mean, I, I went and looked at the the risk of complications and things like that to make sure that it was uh, a safe surgery. I tend to be quite relaxed going into a lot of these things. I've had a lot of surgeries in my life, unrelated even to to trans issues, into unrelated to transition. But and I think I'm just. Maybe I'm just used to them. I don't know. But <laughs> these days, it's like, eh, it's just another surgery. Maybe, um, maybe this just goes to show how uh, how easy my life has been, where I'm like, oh, no, I might not be able to speak anymore. How will the world deal without my wisdom? Uh, <laughs> I think given that you do a podcast, <laughs> there might be some repercussions on you. That- <laughs> I think, well, I think Dan, my co-host, would be very happy. So he he would get a lot more words in. He'd be much happier. <laughs> He just felt that I'd throw me, throw me questions and I'd like, I'd, I'd just tap on the table or something like that every time. Like two taps a yes and one tap for no. What, what, I, what I did is I went and found an app on my phone and it enabled me to type stuff in and then it would speak for me. Ah, that's much better and, than tapping on a table. Yeah, yeah. However, when I was at work, I had a little sticky note, notepad thing and I'd written on it, you know, I am currently unable to speak. Go back to your, go back to your desk and message me on Skype. <laughs> and, That's amazing. And then I could hold real conversations with people. It was quite funny because in my pod, right, like in in the area where I sit, my teammates 
would talk to me mm. and I wasn't able to speak for two weeks, right? So I was back at work, mm-hmm. but I couldn't speak. So they would talk to me and then I'd type my reply into Skype. Then they would type their reply into Skype and I'm like, you know, you can speak, right? <laughs> It's, you're, allowed, you're allowed to talk. Everyone's being very polite at this point. It's like, <laughs> this conversation is taking longer than it should because I have to type. Well, let's let's not both type. You just say what you need to say, <laughs> and then I'll type. And I went to I went to a party at a friend's place, and it became really quite frustrating because I'm an extrovert, right? I'm I'm out there and I'm involved in conversations and I'm talking to people all the time. But because I was on the phone trying to type my messages in, by the time I finished typing and the voice came out of my phone, Mm. the conversation had moved on. That was two or three sentences ago. Someone else was talking and it was just like, oh. So in the end, I became a passive participant in the party. I just sort of sat there and Mm. watched other people converse and I you know, I smiled at jokes and stuff like mm. that. But Nodded a lot, I, lots of nodding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I couldn't guide the conversation. I couldn't be involved in the conversation in any meaningful way, which was, that was really a frustrating, uh, <laughs> a frustrating experience. But yeah, two weeks. And after that, I, um, I was able to speak. I didn't sound great. I sounded like I had a really husky, a really husky voice for a while. <laughs> and I was told I am only able to do essential talking. So I can answer direct questions and the like, but I can't chit-chat, right? I can't say, hey, maybe can you do a podcast tonight? <laughs> be allowed to do that. Right, but, yes. Um, opera was but, out. You couldn't, no, no opera singing for a week, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I know. That was a real, that was a real bummer. <laughs> <laughs> my, my opera career was over before it began. Oh, shocking. <laughs> Terrible. You were talking about the price before and being a little bit, shocked at well maybe you underestimated the price the next lot of surgery that i'm having is facial feminization surgery and i'm going overseas for that that all up is going to set me including the flights and the surgery it's going to set me back about sixty thousand dollars oh my goodness wow okay that's the numbers i was i was expecting yes okay there we there we are wow And, and so i'm going to get they're going to do my bring my hairline forward and do hair transplants and those sorts of things while they're there and do a lot of work on the bones in my face. They actually oh, my goodness. Reshape, reshape the bones. Yes. Um, and they're going to do – they have to give – because of the, the fact that my bones will actually change shape, they have to give me a facelift, whether I want one or not, to <laughs> make allow for the fact that my, my, but my bone structure has changed. Nice. So – it's really quite an intensive surgery in the amount of stuff that's being done. So I'm going to spend two weeks in Buenos Aires and I'm going to look like I have been hit by a truck. <laughs> <laughs> paid for the privilege too. Yeah, that's right. Paid a lot of money for the privilege. Um, and, yeah, so, so what price victory in terms of surgeries mm. uh, once you allow for tax – it will be well over a hundred thousand wow. dollars superannuation. Yes, yes. Uh, goodness me. On yeah, yeah, that's incredible. It's, it's with the, that's yes, that's a that's the sort of money I was thinking originally. That was sort of where I was sort of in my head. I was, if someone said how much would this cost, I'd say a hundred thousand dollars because that just seems like mm. a big a big number, and you've managed to reach it. Unfortunately, uh, mm. that's it's. 
going back to the facial reconstruction surgery, once again, your face is such an identity of yourself. I, I'm wondering, are you worried that the person that looks back from the mirror won't be you, if that makes sense? The person that looks back from the mirror isn't me at the moment. Ah, um, okay. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I, she's almost there. Like, I'm close, but, but and like, I see myself sometimes. I walk the world at the moment in this state where I casually pass. Uh, when I say pass, I mean not seen as transgender, right? So I walk through the world in a crowd. People don't pick me as transgender. People don't don't sort of treat me differently. I'm, I'm just basically another face, right? And and that's that's great. That's wonderful. But after someone has interacted with me for long enough, you know, for more than it takes to say order a cup of coffee or something, then people generally they don't always instantly know that I'm transgender or anything, but they suspect and they wonder, and people are not. You know, when I talk to people, they say, oh, yeah, I was wondering if you were transgender and I wasn't sure. And, you know, it's just – it's really hard to describe the, the impact of that because it's, it's a lifetime of subtle othering, right? Like it's not quite being treated the same as everyone else, you know, and – a lot of the time that looks like super positive support from people, right? Like you go into a shop and people are really keen to show that they are wonderful, friendly LGBTIQ supporters, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and, and, but, but even that, it's like, it's still, it's still a case of them saying, well, here we've identified you and mm. we are wanting to show you that we, accept you and embrace you right yeah. and you and are the you are the you are the other but we we accept the other as as ourselves almost and you don't yeah yes. yeah yeah, yeah right? which is, is lovely but it's not it's not the end the, it's not the end point that we should be reaching for yeah well look i mean for some of us for some of us when, when i say us i'm talking about some of the transgender community right mm-hmm. like they they don't have this desire to to blend into the world they Hmm. are happy to be visible as themselves and say this is who i am take me as i am Hmm. you know and if you don't it's your problem Mm -hmm. and i want that to be me Hmm. but it's not Mm -hmm. right Because, because again that's a price that 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 constant othering is is a price that it's just i mean it beats my it beats if you consider the alternative to have been to not to transition in the first place mm-hmm. where, you know, where I am now is a million times better than that. Right. Mm-hmm. However, still I'm close to being, able, I get those moments now where I'm like, wait, I can actually live a normal life without being treated as different and being seen as other and unusual and special and, yeah without standing out, right? I'm, I'm so close to that and I get little tastes of it and I'm like, I want that. Yes. <laughs> I, you yeah. know, and that's what this last, um, this last, well, this facial feminization surgery, that's, that's the goal that I'm hoping to, to get out of that. And from my prior, from my point of view, that will be the end of my transition. After mm. that, I'm done. Yep. Um, and the rest of my life is my life rather than my transition. 
I sometimes wonder with people who have undergoing adversity, whatever that adversity is, whether they're gay, maybe, or as if they're trans people, or they're, they're othered in some other way from the mainstream, whatever that is, and then that becomes their identity, as in it, it, it's the struggle and the fight, because they've had to fight, which is awful. And then I sometimes wonder, is have you been caught in the fight, and and you can't see your way out of the fight. But for some people, you don't need to fight. Uh, you don't want to fight, even. It's not your, not your job to train stupid people like myself it's well, you just want to live your life well no see i guess i sit i sit a little bit in both categories right like that fight that visibility and i know this sounds ironic given what i was just saying but that fight and that visibility is hugely important to me mm. but it's important that i have the ability to engage with it or disengage with it in the way i want to mm-hmm. right um, there's never a world where I'm going to say, no, I don't want to do a podcast and talk about transgender issues because these are important matters to me and they make a difference, right? Mm. So I'm always going to have those opportunities. But the guy in the coffee shop, it would be nice if the random guy that I'm never going to talk to again didn't know that I was transgender right, yeah, and didn't okay. influence my interaction with him. However, anyone who knows me for longer than, you know, a two-minute conversation will probably know that I'm transgender because I will have told them. Because, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but that puts the control of my narrative back in my hands, right? I can tell people or not as I feel comfortable with, and that's the part that I want. People just want to be able to tell their story in the way they want to tell their story, and it's so important – this sounds a bit metaphysical, but the idea of objective reality versus subjective reality. It, a lot of the time, we just want to tell the story of ourselves, and for those of us who can do that, that's it's you do it without thinking. But for those who can't, for whatever reason, due to an outside difference, it must be very difficult to take control of that narrative, and it must be very frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's exactly it. You know, that that's that's one of those things that. Ironically, when I first started my journey, right, when I first started my transition, I knew going into this, well, I'm in my 40s, I'm transitioning later in life, there are no miracles here, right? I'm going to, I'm never going to pass, you know, that that word again, you know, I'm never going to blend into society, I'm always going to be visible, right? And, And I was okay with that. I was like, well, if that's, if that's the price, I can pay that price because it beats the alternative, right? It beats living a lie. Um, but then as my transition went on and hormones did their thing, I found myself getting closer and closer to actually being able to blend in and have that life that I never really dreamed that I was ever going to be able to have. Um, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is what it feels like. <laughs> and that's not – I don't say that as a positive thing, right? I don't think it is a positive thing because I was at a point where I was confident being able to walk the world and be visibly trans. And in a way, I've stepped backwards right? because I've got a taste of what it's like to not be seen, to not be visible, and to be able to have – that as my everyday experience it's just it's intoxicating right like to 
It's something that I never dared believe. And now that I know it's possible, I can't not have it, <laughs> which, which, which has undone a lot of the, the sort of mindset that I had when I go, when I went into it, you know. So I know passing, this whole concept of passing is a really problematic concept because it, these exact mind games that we do, that we, we play with ourselves, it shouldn't matter, but it mm. does. Right? Yes. Yeah. But that's not your – you're not the one who's making it matter, if that makes sense. No, you're no, you're responding yeah. to it mattering to other people. So. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the differences between – like the two major surgeries, my vocal feminization doesn't count so much, but like my gender confirmation surgery and my facial feminization surgery. My gender confirmation surgery, most people – well, you know, when they see me, they have no idea. No one knows what's going on in my pants and I don't tell them, right? It's none of their business. No, exactly right. Or and, anyone's pants. Can I just point this out? <laughs> I, I, I don't want to know about anyone's genitals. Thank you very much. That's just my, my, my rule in life. Stop telling me about your genitals, everyone. It's weird. Okay, sorry. That's just Ooh, my thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe you should have told me that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't mean about this conversation. Just in, just in general, people kind of go, oh, don't you, like, you know, talking to Ada, wouldn't you want to know this? And I'm like, no. In the same way that I don't want to know about cis people's genders or um, genitals, I'm always like, I don't, I'm, I'm cool. I'm cool with not knowing. <laughs> I am absolutely cool with not knowing what's going on in anyone's trousers. Thank you very much. Unless it's, unless it's literally going to affect me, which it very rarely does, then <laughs> let's not, uh, let's, let's talk about something else. <laughs> it's like, yeah. There are many cool things in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that's, uh, I, I'm I'm right there with you on like unless it's gonna yeah anyway uh, yeah, yeah, the, exactly. the, the um but that whole thing right like that whole surgery because it's not visible it hasn't changed the way I move through the world at all it hasn't mm. changed the way people perceive me it hasn't changed the way I interact all it's done is make me far more comfortable in my body mm. right mm-hmm. that one was done for me for my needs for my comfort with myself facial feminization is about changing the way other people react to me it's about changing the way i move through the world right Mm -hmm. it's not about my own internal sense of comfort well i guess indirectly it is because it's about that comfort that i get from from being seen and perceived the way i would like to be i think if the world was perfect right if if trans people were completely and utterly accepted and the idea of, you know, pronouns and gender identity was completely normalized in everyday life. In that world, I'd still have had gender confirmation surgery because I needed it for my own sense of completeness. But I also think in that world, I probably wouldn't have facial feminization surgery. So that's where it's one of those things that, um, yeah, well, that's that's a that's a pretty heavy price, right? Mm. Because it's yeah. it's um it's something that I don't think I should need, but yeah. the reality is the world isn't a perfect world, and there are consequences to moving through the world in its mm. wonderful imperfections. So, quite, yeah. yeah, I mean, quite, and I mean, I hate to say it, but better to be honest, though, trans people suffer a lot more. Uh, abuse and uh, uh, physical and emotional abuse and, mm. and and depression and that sort of things. So yeah. uh, it's uh, I, I hate to say it, but it's it's by by blending in in the very commas, then it makes it makes you safer as well. 
Uh, yeah, which is, yeah. which is, as I say that, you go, how awful that is that you have to wear, you have to wear a normal suit to, to, to fit in, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. it, it shouldn't be that way. It, sh- it absolutely shouldn't. And hopefully one day it won't be, but at the moment, unfortunately, it can be that way. Yeah. And look, I, I do think we'll get there. I do, like, well, when I say we, I mean society. I don't mm-hmm. know that it'll happen in my time, but I think that we are going in the right direction for all that we're taking a step backwards recently. Mm. I still think that social momentum is heading in the right direction. You know, two steps forward, we might be taking a step backwards at the moment, but, you know, I still think that two steps forward, one step back thing will will get us there in the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Add up all the maths. We are going roughly in the right direction. Oh, uh, uh, a long enough timeline. It's trending in the correct direction. Maybe. Lots of bumps. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, like, I mean, I look at my own experience and I – identified, I knew in my head that, you know, um, I think we talked about this last time, you know, I I knew at the age of 11 or so. Mm. And the world was not a world where I could be open about that. The world was not a world where I could imagine coming out as trans when I was 11 or 13, even even when I was 20, 21, 25. Mm. There was just no way that that was going to happen. But... Yeah. If I was 25, if I was 11, in the current world, mm. it would be a lot more feasible. I mean, I don't know that that I would necessarily be able to do it. It's you know, it's a very big step, but mm-hmm. it's feasible in a way that it simply was not when I was younger. So, well, there's, I know more about it now in in my middle age than I ever did as as a younger person, and I don't think it's because I was oblivious to the world around me. It just wasn't something people talked about as much. It's become a lot, much more, I wouldn't say mainstream, but it, the information's there if you choose to look at, for it. And, and people like yourself, I guess because of the, the internet and, and social media, we are able to find representation from trans people and LGBTIQ uh, community. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, you're no longer in a bubble of, of cisgendered, yeah. uh, people heterosexual cisgender people yeah and that's that's normalization right that's that's what normalization looks like when divergent for want of a better word experiences are seen as more everyday and more normal and more regular and people are familiar with those experiences they know people who have come out as transgender or they know people who have sexualities other than heterosexual when when you can point the finger and say, I know someone who's trans, I know mm. someone who's openly gay, I know someone who's going to be impacted by this legislation or that legislation, mm. or I know what my gay friend struggles with when it comes to navigating employment or any of those sorts mm-hmm. of things, when you can start pointing at other people and say, well, actually, I've seen what that's like, it makes it a lot easier to empathize with yeah, their, their experiences, right? And that's, that's what normalization is in my mind. This has been shown in sociological experiments and and just sociological uh, reports around the world. It's if you know someone of a certain uh, of a certain group, then you will of course go, "Oh, they're human beings," and they like to kiss someone of the same gender, whatever. And it doesn't, but they're your friend first, and they they kiss people of the same gender 
second. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It's not. But when you other than when it's unknown and crazy and scary, like they they eat strange foods or they they all wear funny hats or whatever. You know, they all kiss the same people. Oh, then it's <laughs> that's very scary. And humans don't deal well with scary. We like everything to no, be normal no. and boring. Uh, yeah. And I hope I'm hoping for a day. And I once again, I, I hope it's in my lifetime, but maybe not. It depends how long I live, actually. Uh, but I want someone declaring themselves trans or any other any, LGBTI, whatever. When they tell me, I go, "That's nice," and then yeah. <laughs> moving yeah. on. And and, and I don't, I, or, or even be able to say, "I don't care," and, but not in a "I'm not here to support you" way, but in, as in a I, "I really don't care what the color of your car is. It doesn't yeah. matter to me." That's I, nice. Yeah, you, you picked a red car. Good for you. Can we move on to things that? aren't about the colour of red cars, please. Yes. You know, or... And it's not, I know exactly what you mean, it's not to downplay the importance of no. it, but it's, it's like finding out that your friend's left-handed, right? Yes, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I know an interesting fact about you that will probably never come up again. Yes. You know, like, I have um, a friend of mine, and I discovered after many years, and I should have picked up, I just oblivious to this sort of stuff, I, she walked in and she had brown hair, and I went, oh my goodness, you've, and she used to be blonde, and I, oh my goodness, you've coloured your hair brown, and she looked at me and went, no, I'm... I no, <laughs> I'm brown haired, and no, 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 no. I just you've just never seen me without the dye, and I, and I went what? And it was it was and it was a moment of me just being confused, and then I went oh okay great, and then it doesn't matter anymore. Now she just changed the hair color. It doesn't really matter. Uh, this is me without the mask. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's just like I didn't I just didn't put the stuff in. Okay, cool, whatever, and it doesn't matter. And I, I'm hoping one day that comes around for people who feel othered that people just go oh it's nice moving on. Yeah, yeah, it's, and look. Let's go get I, a beer. I, <laughs> that's the ideal, isn't it? Right? Like, uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation, a lot of memes and things that do the rounds in sort of queer spaces, where you know they say, when my son or when my daughter is old enough, the first I want to know if they're bisexual or pansexual or gay or whatever is when they bring their boyfriend or girlfriend home and introduce them and it's just as it's a, it's a non-event right like it's just like bringing you know just bringing a heterosexual partner home you know it's like it's just completely normalized and i mean that's the ideal i i, I want that world how do we get there well, i think well, i think we're slowly hopefully hopefully i'm about to big note this podcast hopefully doing things like this will help yeah, <laughs> on some small level, and people like yourself who um, who give their time. Now, I guess I, I've got to ask the one question to, to specifically spell it out. Mm-hmm. What price victory you've told us? I mean, emotionally, we went through that last time a year ago, and this time we talked about the money over a hundred thousand dollars. Is it a price that you're happy that you've paid? Oh, absolutely! Right. One thing I didn't touch on after my gender confirmation surgery. I actually had some real complications that impacted my recovery and I had some real mental health struggles, um, a lot of emotional ups and downs Mm. and I I crashed pretty hard after that. And once you include that in there, right, like Mm. that was not a price I expected to pay for my, my gender confirmation surgery. I've had a dream since I was a kid that one day I would, you know, in air quotes, wake up as a girl, right? Mm-hmm. And as problematic as this is, but anyway, bear with me. When I was, when I woke up from gender confirmation surgery, right, like that dream was so close to coming true. And then at some point they took all the bandages off and everything like that. And 
that was that moment that I had spent my whole life waiting for. I can't remember it. I was in that much pain. I was on that, I was on that many drugs. Um, I had fevers. I had all sorts of problems. Most most girls do, right? Most girls don't have the issues I do. But that moment that I had spent my whole life waiting for, I don't remember it. And I really struggled with that, right? And that was a cost, a very literal cost that I didn't prepare myself for. But I'd do it again in a heartbeat, you know, <laughs> because it's absolutely worth it, even though the cost was higher than I was expecting. It's absolutely, absolutely worth it. And same with eating into my superannuation and my retirement and my, my future. It's going to set me back in a very, very big way compared to my peers when it comes to retirement. But I will be in a much better place in my life to deal with that particular challenge when I do retire than if I just tried to struggle on right now because that's decades in the future that I have to get through life and I'm equipped in a way to move through the world now that I just simply haven't been. So, yeah, the price is high, <laughs> which really sucks, but I would pay it again in a heartbeat every time. Even if it was higher, I'd pay it again. Ada, thank you very much for coming and chatting to me again about this very important topic. I, I do appreciate your time. Yeah, you're most welcome. Thanks, Ada, for chatting to me today about the price you have paid and the fact that it's worth it, even though it was hard. Ada did have one last thing that she wanted to share with us. You know what I just realized? What's that? I have got through two podcasts with you without mentioning roller derby once. <laughs> I think that's like a, I think that's like a record. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we should in the habit in the future. I'll get you back on, and we'll get you and not talk about transitioning. Yes, and so yes. another part of your personality, yes. roller derby. What's your roller derby name? Darth Ada. <laughs>